but don't expect you to jump from point zero to point ten in one week. It's baby steps. And so we'll talk about the importance of fasting. How does it line up with God's word? What does it do to our life? How does it uh, prepare us to uh, align ourselves with God and to be centered on Jesus and also prayer? So that'll start next week, which will kind of wrap up with our encounter night. So we hope you'd come be a part of that next week as we start that process and we unpack fasting and prayer. And lastly, uh, just uh, no slide on this, but February the 18th will be our business meeting. I know that's like very boring, right? Business meeting. Well, guess what? We'll talk about what God has done and we'll talk about the thankfulness of uh, how we're thankful for what God did in 2023. We'll talk about some vision that we're looking for in 2024. We'll unpack the finances. Yes, some of you are like, yes, let's talk finance. Others are like, that's boring. I get it. Uh, but come be a part of it. But also, one of the things that we do in our uh, business meeting is we... Uh, elect uh, spiritual elders, uh, spiritual elders that help lead the church with our pastoral team. And this uh, year, we have one position that will be coming open, the position of Mr. Rich Prophet, who is one of our spiritual elders. He, uh, Rich has already served one of his uh, three-year terms. He is eligible to serve another three-year term, and he has agreed to be a part of that next three-year term and let his name run. But as a congregation, you have uh, the right to nominate someone that you see fit to be a spiritual elder. So here's what we are asking you. If you're interested, you don't have to do this, but if you're interested, um, you can nominate by putting down a person's name that you see uh, to be fit as a, as a spiritual leader. But what I'd like for you to do is, um, in a short paragraph, tell us why you see them qualified to be a spiritual elder. What do you see about them? What, what stands out to you? And if you're not sure, come talk to one of the pastoral staff. We'll let you know what we look for in the spiritual elders. But if you, if you see someone and you recognize them as a spiritual elder, just write their name down, turn it, to, turn it into one of our elders, and then we'll take it through the process. But as of right now, Rich has agreed to uh, run that second term. So just wanted to keep you up to date on that. Okay, I feel like I just preached a message. Man, that was a lot of announcements. Beginning of the year, man, I'm telling you. We got momentum here. It's awesome. God is doing cool stuff. Well, welcome, uh, Fort Scott. I know we just started the feed, so I just want to welcome you guys in Fort Scott. Excited to see what God's doing there as well. But we are continuing our series talking about discipline to freedom. And last week, we talked about how we need to be Christ-centered, uh, the importance of having Christ in the center of our lives. And we can put that graphic up, Russ. Um, yeah, we, we looked at how uh, this is what Jesus intended to be our life model. But Jesus being at the center of our lives and every part of our life, every compartment of our life attached to Jesus and everything flowing from the center out, where there is energy flowing from the center out, where there is life flowing from the center out, where there is truth flowing from the center out, where there is God's word flowing from the center out into every area of our life. If that's our thoughts, if that's if our emotions, our decision-making process, our marriage, our kids, our lifestyles, our time, our goals, our finances, our work, everything being Christ-centered. 
That's how God intended it. And if you were not here last week, I encourage you, check out our app, uh, listen to the, the, the message to be caught up because it will help you uh, throughout this whole series. But what happened is sin entered the world, and we have this next graphic where uh, the enemy uh, tempted us by our disordered desires to take the place of God. He said, you know what? <laughs> Why don't you step into that spot? And we became self-centered people where God became just a compartment in our life, where we get to pick and choose when we need God and when we don't. When we pick and choose when we get to show up to church or when we get to read the Word. Or if I feel comfortable, I'll just read the Word. If not, it's, oh man, I'm busy today. I'm just busy. Life's so busy, I'm just going to, I'll pick it up some other time. Or, or we, we become self-centered with our marriages and our kids and our lifestyle. And you see how that all starts to kind of crumble and kind of fall apart. And our lives do not look healthy. And they look like uh, withered branches that the scripture talks about that the father tends to prune away. Even though we say we are followers of Jesus, Jesus is not at the center of our lives. And so we talked about that. And we talked about how discipline leads to freedom, but our world is full of distractions that are deterring us or are derailing us from our disciplines. Distractions that are derailing us from our disciplines. Today I'd like to unpack the discipline of solitude and silence. Yes. <laughs> solitude and silence. Something that we all kind of tend to struggle with. And the importance of how that discipline leads to freedom. I remember two weeks ago, I uh, left the house and uh, got to church. And uh, it's just kind of like this. It's right there right now, my cell phone. I went, whoa, it's not here. It's missing. The spot, it's gone. It's not here. My life started to reel out of control. I was like, what happened to my cell phone? Where is it? Uh, whoa, whoa, I can leave my wallet at home. It won't bother me. But my cell phone's not there. And so I had to, hey, guys, I'm headed back home because I need my cell phone. Can you bring my cell phone, bro? Because I'll feel safer. I have my cell phone while I preach. No. Are you trying to break me of an addiction? Please, please, will you bring me my cell phone? Okay. It's on the notes? Oh, you saw it on there. Okay. Um, but you see what I mean, right? We, we are so addicted to our cell phones. Our modern society combined with the pace of life does something to our souls. It does something to our souls. History books uh, written about our society will point back to the year 2007 as a defining moment in history. Can anyone tell me what happened in 2007? Anyone? Steve Jobs released the iPhone in 2007. I love my iPhone. I am an Apple guy all the way. I love it. Yes, all you PC guys. Um, But in 2007, the iPhone was released. Not only was the iPhone released, in 2007, Facebook became available to anyone that had an email address, and it went global. 
In 2007, the microblogging site used to be called Twitter, now X, became a global phenomenon. The App Store, the iCloud, the upward shift in Silicon Valley started to gain momentum, and 2007 was officially the launch of the digital age. See, this shift has caused a radical change in how we live and how we operate our lives. If you are around the age of 20 or younger, this is all you know. All you know is the digital age. All you know is the iPhone. All you know is the App Store. All you know is the cloud. That is all you know. But if you were a little north of 24 or maybe 25 and older, you remember when you did not have infinity in your back pocket, where your cell phone was constantly with you. You remember standing in line. You remember sitting at, uh, on the plane and staring out the window or riding in the train and just looking out the window. I remember doing vacations with my parents, just staring out the window, just looking at nature. And, and, and we, you remember boredom, right? I, I used to remember uh, uh, this game, um, uh, I see with my little eyes something beginning with... You guys remember that game? Did you guys play that game? Some of you are like, what are you talking about? And then you go, and then it starts all over again. And we played different games while we drove around, right? You remember the snow day when you could stay home and not have to catch up on emails and work? It was a snow day. We actually got to have fun and play, right? And then... Technology combined with COVID converted our sacred spaces of home into workspaces with Zoom and Google Meet. <laughs> I didn't have to leave the comfort of my home and I could just do anything and everything and work just took over. Technology took over. See, the iPhone, which I love, the technology that I have has a ton of pros. I mean, I love it. I mean, I don't have, man, if I had to read a map today, man, talk about trouble. What kind of wrecks would we have on the street if we were trying to drive reading a map? Oh, my. But I love my maps. I love the fact that I can check the weather and know what the temperature is. I love the fact that I could be, uh, this past weekend I was in Dallas, but guess what? I was able to FaceTime my family. I was able to say hi to my kids in the morning before they went to school. Technology is a great thing. Did you know that 86% of the, of the world's population currently owns a smartphone? You know what that means? That 86% of the people have access to you version and the Bible. We're not very far from the whole population having access to God's word. And with the power of you version and all the uh, translations, man, there's good things that come with technology. But there are also the bad that comes with it. And we don't like to talk about the cons of technology. In the last three years, we have gone from 
our attention span has gone from 12 seconds to 8 seconds. We get distracted every 8 seconds. We're known as the distracted generation. Every 8 seconds. We live in what economists called the attention economy. Our apps and our devices are continually trying to get our attention 24-7. I mean, just think about it. Think about your smartphone. Think about how many times you get interrupted in a day. When we, if we were to pull back the curtain on technology and, and look at what uh, is happening in the, the world of technology and, and, and those that are developing all of these apps, they, are, they have one goal. There's one sole purpose, and that is to, to distract you and to create addictions. To distract you and to create addictions. Because... That is where the money is. Just, just think about what happens in your life daily with your devices and your technology and the busyness that comes with life. Did you know on average, a smartphone user can expect to receive 42 notifications a day? On average, 42. Did you know that on average, a person spends close to five and a half hours on their smartphone? Wow. That's average, five and a half hours. The number of times that each person reaches for their phone throughout the day, 96 times on average. <laughs> Distractions. Why is this so important and something that we need to pay attention to? Because this distraction, remember we talked about discipline leads to freedom, but distractions are derailing our freedom. Distractions and addictions to our technology and the busyness of life is robbing us of being present to ourselves. Think about this. Being present to ourselves, being present to others, and most importantly, being present to God himself. This is why it is important. It is it is robbing the health, it is robbing the health of our soul, which is core to life. Andrew Sullivan, a British uh, American author, editor, and blogger, wrote this. He, he said this, I used to be a human being. I used to be a human being. An endless bombardment of news and gossip and images have rendered us manic information addicts. It broke me. It might break you too. This past week, I was at a conference with some presbyters from Texas and Oklahoma and Kansas, and we were at a round table having some discussions, and one of the areas uh, that the Assemblies of God um, works with is this ministry called Teen Challenge. It's an area where we work with teenagers uh, where they can get away for a whole year, maybe a year and a half to break through addictions for drugs and alcohol and substance abuse. And uh, it just frees them using God's word and time with others and just frees them. And that's the whole purpose of this addiction center. It's called Teen Challenge. But here's the scary thing. 
this past week, in, uh, one of the guys in Dallas, uh, Texas area, talked about how there's a teen challenge in Texas that currently has 40 teenagers where parents are paying $4,000 a month to help them break through the addiction of cell phones. Parents, this is a real problem. And parents, it starts with us. Our lifestyles is what our kids reflect. This is a distraction that is causing destruction. It is another way, a subtle way for the enemy to come, steal, kill, and destroy our souls. So what do you think? Be honest, be real. It's your life, not mine. But here's a question I want you to answer this morning. If you have your smartphones, <laughs> sorry, I am sending you to an app, but you can write this, you can pull out your journals. You see how my brain works. This is we're wired. Uh, we have a flag church app, and we push you to it to take notes. But pull out your journals, pull out your app, whatever you want to take notes in. But do you feel like your life is too busy, your schedule is too jammed, and your soul is overly hurried? Yes or no? I want you to write it down. I want you to mark it down. If you are honest with yourself and you say yes, hey, we know, okay, I'm going to say yes. I got here this morning and I, <laughs> it was hurried. There were distractions. My soul was not in a, in a good spot. Where is yours? So how do we unhurry our souls? Is that a practice from the ways of Jesus, a time-tested way to live that would set us up to thrive in the middle of this chaotic, busy life? Because discipline leads to freedom. The discipline of silence and solitude could lead us to a life of health. The discipline, the way of silence and solitude that was practiced by Jesus can lead us to freedom, then can lead us to help. There's this passage of Scripture that I'm going to use as an anchor passage throughout the series, and we'll touch on it uh, in different times. But in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16, here, here's what the passage says. This is what the Lord says. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is. And walk in it, and you will find, what does it say? You'll find, is it out there? Yeah. What does it say? Rest for your souls. You'll find rest for your souls. But what did you say? But you said, we will not walk in it. The ancient path, the good way. What is that? What is the ancient path? It says, ask for the ways of Jesus, the ancient path, the proven path, the path that Jesus walked. Ask for the way that the creator God created for you and me. Ask for the ways of Jesus. Ask for the way that is counter to the ways of this world, the ways of this world that causes our soul to erode, to erupt by the pace and the pressures of this world. Ask for silence and solitude. 
the ways of Jesus. So uh, the best thing that we can do is look at how Jesus walked this earth when he was on here because he came to give us an example just like as parents, we're examples to our kids. We look at the Father, we look at Jesus because Jesus said, I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. And when you see me, you see the Father and we see what Jesus did when he was here. And Jesus prioritized solitude. So let's unpack that. So here's what's going to happen. There's going to be scriptures that I'm not going to put on screen, but I'm going to refer to it. So I'm going to have you pull your Bibles and turn to it. Okay, if that's okay with you, if that's uh, your, your actual Bible or your digital Bible, but turn to it and follow along with me. It's not going to be on the screen. Matthew chapter 3, verses 1, uh, sorry, uh, the last verse 31, and uh, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Um, At his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. Man, when we look at this passage of Scripture, here is Jesus. He's, he's be, he, has, uh, he has come and he's been water baptized. And right after he's been water baptized, the Spirit of God comes upon him and he has been identified by the Father as to who he is. His his true identity has been revealed to the people that were there. Talk about a high moment. Talk about a powerful moment that Jesus just had where the Spirit of the Lord settled on him and a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Do you think this would have been plenty for Jesus to go, let's go do work? Right? I mean, he, he, the Father has proclaimed that the Spirit has landed. People have seen it like, whoa, okay, here's Jesus. And he could have gone right in to start ministry, right? What did Jesus do? Next verse. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. The wilderness. The Greek for wilderness is called Eremos. Can you guys say that? Eremos. Good. You guys are doing great. You learned a new word. Eremos means a solitary, lonely, or desolate, or quiet place. A solitary, a quiet, a lonely place. That's what it meant. The wilderness. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the Eremos, solitary, quiet place, to be tempted there by the devil for uh, by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. Now, this is not in Scripture, but what I see happening here is for 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and he prayed and he spent time in the Eremos so that he could be detoxed from the things of this world that he had lived in for the last 30 years, right? And there was a detoxing that was starting to happen. A, a, a stripping away. During that time, the devil came and said to him, if you are the son of God, tell the stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no. The scripture says, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And if you continue to read, you'll see the three, three temptations that Jesus walked through. So the question, why would the spirit lead Jesus into the wilderness, 
to be tempted by the devil. I always thought about this, like, man, why would, why would he lead Jesus into a place of weakness, into a place where he could be weak and then be tempted by the devil? Why would he lead him into the Eremos, into uh, the wilderness? And I always saw it as a place of weakness. But what we see here is it's truly not a place of weakness, but it is a place of strength. Why do I say that? Eremos, a place of solitude, a silence, a quiet place where there was stripping away that was happening, a detoxing that was happening by the distractions of this world. But what was happening was this, Jesus was sitting at the feet of his father in solitude. At the feet of his father, where his father was pouring into him the things that he needed to equip him, to prepare him to, uh, to, so that he can go into the world to do the ministry that he was called to do. It was a place of strengthening. And Jesus fasted and he prayed, and we'll unpack that next week, uh, how Jesus fasted and prayed before he began the work that Jesus, God had called, the Father had called him to accomplish. So the Eremos of solitude was a place of strength, not weakness. He came head to head with the devil in the most, uh, when he was in his most uh, strongest place in his faith where he had been strengthened by being with the Father, and he stepped into the world to, uh, to go head to head, toe to toe with the devil, and then he was able to use the power and the words given to him by his Father to defeat the enemy. How will that look like in your life? How will that look like if you started your day in solitude at the feet of the Father? What would that look like for in your life, for your soul and, and the temptations and the busyness and the distractions and the disordered desires that come our way constantly if we started our day like Jesus? Scripture shows that Jesus was continually in the Eremos, not just one time. Mark chapter 1, so we're jumping to Mark from Matthew, the next book, over Matt, uh, chapter 1, verses 35 uh, and 37, if you want to jump to that passage. So very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place. I just lost all you night owls. You're like, very early in the morning, that doesn't work in my life. Forget that. Solitude's not for me. <laughs> no, but you can do that any time. But Jesus, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and they found him. They explained, everyone is looking for you. <laughs> Jesus knew that. He was very popular. What do we see here happening? So Jesus goes in the Eremos for 40 days. 40 days. He comes back. He starts his ministry. Two days into ministry, what does Jesus do? Goes back into the Eremos. If it was me, the way I would function is, man, I've just been there 40 days. I'm good for two years. I don't need to go back. I'm good till I crash and then I'll go find a spot, right? No, that's not how it worked. Jesus was in the Eremos for 40 days. He comes back, he starts his ministry. Two days into his ministry, he's back in the Eremos. 
for early in the morning, he gets up and he goes into the Ramos because he knew that he needed to sit at the feet of his father. He needed to spend time with the father. It was not a one-time thing. For Jesus, going to a place of solitude was woven into the fabric of his life. It was woven into the fabric of his life. Is it woven into our fabric of our life? This was the way, the path, the the ancient path that led to freedom. The way of Jesus. And it goes on. There are many passages. We won't have time to unpack every passage talking about solitude. But here's another passage. In Mark chapter 6, verses 30 uh, through 34 and verses 45 through 46. Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 34. The apostles gathered around Jesus and report to, reported to him all they had done and taught. So here, Jesus sends the apostles out to do the work. And guess what? They come back and they're like bragging to Jesus. Guess what? Man, we had an amazing day. We got to do this and this and this. There's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of momentum. Then, because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. How many of you can relate with that? Man, I am so busy. Things are going awesome. I don't have time to eat. I mean, who needs to eat? This is important. I've got to do this, right? How many of you can relate with that, right? And they're like, yeah, we figured this thing out. Jesus has taught us what to do. Man, we've got the power. Man, things are moving. The disciples are excited. They're like, who needs to eat? Man, we're busy, right? What did Jesus say in the next verse? He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Come with me to a quiet place (laughs) And get some rest. Come with me to the Oremos. Come with me. What's he telling you this morning? What's he telling you to do this morning? Is he asking you to come with him? Come with me to a quiet place. Let's just sit down. Let me give you rest for your soul. Let me teach you how to do life. Let me teach you what is important. Let me show you what is distracting you. Let me show you what is tearing you up from the inside out. Let me show you what you have put all your trust and hope in. The things of this world that are destroying you. Let me teach you the ways that my Father wants you to know. Is He asking you to stop maybe? To slow down? To refocus on Him? to recenter your life on Jesus where he's not just a compartment in your life, but he becomes the core where everything flows, where life flows daily from the center out, from being in his presence. Come with me. So what do they do? So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. By the way, they went to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran in foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed, he saw the large crowds. 
They didn't give him a break. How many of you know that? They're like, man, your mom's in the house. You're like, yeah, I know that. I want a solitary place that my kids go, mom, I need this. Mom, where's that? And you're like, there's no solitary place for me, right? You, you relate with that, right? Or some of you people that are just so popular at your workplace, nothing functions without you and everyone needs you, right? They come to you and where is, uh, let's use John. Where's John? I need this John. Can you take care of that John? I need, John's in the house. Sorry not that John. Sorry, John. I know. No, John. I was trying to find a name that might not. Yeah, John. Yeah. You need, I need John to do this, right? You're so popular. Life happens, right? It is, it's, we live in the, in the real world. So, it, there, was a, there was an important need. Jesus noticed the need. So what did Jesus do? He had compassion on them. So moms, have compassion on your kids. Don't go, oh, I'm going to a quiet place. You're on your own. Forget that. Go figure out your lunch. No, no, no. Jesus took care of the need. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. This distraction was a good distraction. Yes, sometimes distractions do come in work and in our lives and we have to stop. I, I, I read this uh, about a while back, but I, it's always stuck with me. Jesus was intentional, but interruptible. Jesus was intentional, but interruptible. He was intentional with his time with God. He was intentional about solitude, right? He took care of the need. Then what happened in verse 45? Immediately after he took care of the people, Jesus made his disciples. He made his disciples. Do you hear that? He made his disciples get into the boat to go ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. Jesus knew how important it was for his disciples to get away from the busyness to find a time of solitude. He made them. He makes us lie down in green pastures, right? Because he knows what's best for us. He knows how our soul functions. He knows where our souls are. He knows what we need. But we've got to come to him, center our lives on him. After leaving, he went up to the mountain to pray. He went to the mountain to pray. Solitude, Henry Nouwen said it this way, solitude is a place of conversation. Jesus went so he can spend time with the Father to hang out with him, to talk, to listen, to share his hurts, to share his struggles, to share his wants, his needs. Man, I'm, I'm having a rough day. Man, my kids... This happened, man, work's been so stressful. Man, my mar marriage, I'm kind of, we're having some challenges, God. I, I, just, I just need to know, what, what, would you, what would you do here? God, what about my finances? Uh, man, my job, it's just, is this the right direction? How, how do I, should I go down this path? Should I be in this relationship, God? Conversation with the Father, a place of solitude, a place where you're not distracted by the, the noises of this world. Then we go on in Luke chapter 5, verse 15. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places, the Eremos, and prayed. Another passage of Jesus breaking away. To find time with the Father. Solitude 
Jesus went to lonely places. He withdrew. He found a place of solitude. This was a frequent thing in the way of Jesus, in the life of Jesus. The way of Jesus was a way of solitude and silence because there is power and freedom that comes into our lives when we sit at the feet of Jesus, when we sit at the feet of our Heavenly Father that knows what is best for us. And what we see in the Gospel of Luke is the busier Jesus got, the more time he spent in solitude and silence. The busier he got, the more time he spent in solitude. The busier he got, the more time he spent in solitude. The world will say the busier you get, solitude needs to leave because you don't have time. Your work is important. Your parenting is important. Your travel sports is important. Your hobbies are important. Man, making finances is important. Your fame is important. Your power is important. You don't have time for God. You don't have time for solitude. You are self-centered. So just focus on yourself. Who needs all of that other stuff? Church is not important. Reading the Bible is not important. Prayer is not important. Being still is not important. Not in the ways of Jesus. Follow the, ask for the ancient path. The ways of Jesus. And we find what? Soul rest. The working definition for silence and solitude is intentional time in the quiet to be alone with ourselves and God. Intentional, a discipline, to be alone with ourselves and God. Be still and know that I am God. God's word, right? Be still and know. Be still in solitude and silence. Silence. There's a lot of external, external noises. We need quiet for our soul. But we've got all of these external noises. Like, man, we, we keep inventing new noises and, and headphones and earplugs and everything to put more noise into our heads, right? External noises. So what if we were to find a space that did not involve a phone or no, no radio, no podcast, no talk show, no ESPN, no background sound, but just silence and solitude. A discipline that we started to implement in our lives. Where you, don't have, uh, where you don't have any noise that is distracting you, where the silence of being in God's presence is balm for emotional healing. We're afraid of silence. Because when we get into that silent space, our internal silence, <laughs> which we can't keep quiet, takes over the mental clutter, the what-ifs in life. What if this happened? What's going to happen with that? And all of this stuff starts to kind of surface, and so we're afraid of that, and so we go find noise so we can what? Bury that internal voice that keeps talking to us. The roller coaster of life. Solitude and silence, they go Hand in hand. See, we can't have solitude without silence. We need silence and then we have solitude. Richard Foster said it this way. He said, uh, to clarify solitude, because sometimes people think solitude is loneliness. Not true. Here's what Richard Foster says. Loneliness is inner emptiness. Solitude is inner fulfillment. You know why? 
because loneliness is when you're there by yourself and there is nobody else, no God, nothing, and it's just your life and you. But in solitude and silence, you come to the feet of Jesus and you're sitting at the feet of the Father and there is fulfillment because the presence of God enters our soul and it starts to fill us in a way that we can't even express and we walk away going, wow, that was good. I just encountered the presence of God. Wayne Cordero said it this way, solitude is to choose separation for refining your soul. Isolation is what you crave when you neglect the first. So, running through this real quick, silence and solitude. We face the good in silence and solitude. When we are in silence and solitude, we face the good and bad, the ugly of our own hearts. We really start to hear and see what is happening inside of us. We face the hunger and thirst for God because we realize how dry our souls are. And sometimes in silence and solitude, we realize that and we get into a place of fear because we're like, man, I can't get close to God. We face our insecurities, our identity, our idolatry, the things that we are craving for in isolation, the nasty motivations that we have, the disordered desires, we face all of this, the addictions, the things that have got a hold of us, they start to come alive in silence and solitude. They are all exposed, but let me tell you what, they are exposed in the safe space of God. They're exposed in the safe space of God. You know why they become exposed? Because God wants to expose those to us because He wants to bring revelation. He wants to bring light. He wants to bring light into those dark spaces and say, hey, these are the things that are destroying you from the inside out. Will you let me? Will you let me? We hear the sound of God cutting through the walls of all of the other voices that have been talking to us and distracting us, the voice of this world. We discover what is truth and what is lies. We wouldn't have an identity crisis if we had solitude. Because we know what truth is. We gain a good perspective of life. We find new freedom. We come home to ourselves, but most importantly, we come home to God. We become creatures that were, uh, that were created to be with God. We become those creatures again, to being in the presence of God. What happens when we don't? Without it, without silence and solitude, we get distant from God. We live off of someone else's spirituality. <laughs> Oh, I'll just get a podcast. It's all good. Oh, I'll just read that book. It's all good. Oh, man, I came on Sunday. The pastor preached, and all good. I'm good to go for the week. That is my spirituality. That's not your spirituality. You need to find your own spirituality. You need to stand on your own solid ground. You need to discover God for yourself. You need to know that He is real for yourself. If not, your faith will be rocked. You only find that when you sit at the feet of the Father in silence and solitude. We get distance from ourselves. We run from ourselves. We hide in the noise, the clutter of this world. We lose our identity. We don't know who we are. 
everyone else tells us who we are. We believe the lies of this world. We start the rat race of life because that's how we can hide the brokenness inside of us. We move into taking center stage of our life and start being the rulers of our life instead of Jesus being at the center of it all. We react to loved ones out of emotion that are disordered. Our relationships start to break. Our kids become annoying. Our spouses become irritating because we are stressed, because we haven't spent time with God. Our souls are dry. We turn to fake dopamine and addictions that give us temporary pleasure. Our souls are dry because we're not in silence and solitude. Will you come to the Father's feet? Will you find the ancient path, the ways of Jesus? If Jesus needed silence and solitude, if Jesus needed silence and solitude to be at the foot of the Father, to spend time, to have a conversation, we'll talk about this next week, to listen, to let the Father speak back into our hearts, to tell us who we are, how much He loves us, and how much He cares about us, and how much no matter what is happening in your life that He's got you. And he's walking this journey with you. Henry Nouwen said it this way. Without solitude, it's virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. We do not take the spiritual, spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside some time to be with God and listen to him. Do we take our spiritual life seriously? Because, man, I don't know what else we need to take seriously. We can take everything else seriously, but if our spiritual lives are falling apart, man, everything else falls apart. If you'd stand with me. This takes intentionality. This is a discipline. This is something that we have to fight with everything because we live in a world that is full of noise, full of busyness, full of distractions, disordered desires that look so appetizing to our, our souls and our bodies and our lives. It is very hard, but it takes intentionality. Mother Teresa was asked the question, what do you recommend as a good spiritual direction? <laughs> Here's what she said, very simple. <laughs> Spend one hour a day to show adoration towards the Lord and don't do anything that is wrong. I've always thought about that when it comes to tithing, giving financially. But what happens if we tithe our time to God? What would happen if we spent... Okay, Baby steps. <laughs> I'm not asking you to spend an hour. What would happen starting tomorrow? What would happen starting tomorrow if you just spent five minutes in silence and solitude where you left your phone in the other room, 
where you left all of the distractions? What, happened, what would happen if maybe on the way to work, you turned off the radio and said, God, can you make this a sanctuary for me while I drive to work? What would happen on your lunch break if you just pulled away and said, I'm going to go to a room where I can just be by myself. God, I'm going to give you five minutes. Here's how it starts, baby steps. Five minutes and we realize, we taste and see that it is good. And then we go, man, I can't live with five. I need maybe about seven minutes. Man, before we know it, we get to a spot where like, man, I need to get back to work because I'm going to be in trouble because you enjoy the presence of God. And there is soul rest that starts to happen and you realize what you've been missing. You realize what's been lacking and you find fulfillment and you go, man, I put all my fulfillment in the things of this world looking for it, but it's been, I've been losing. I want to end with this. When we give our lives to Jesus Christ, we become disciples of Him. That's what He's called us to. Every one of us is called to be a disciple. You know what a disciple does? He just follows and he learns and he grows with the mentor, being discipled by, right? But to do that, you've got to sit at the feet of Jesus. Matthew chapter 6, verse 26. Then Jesus said to His disciples, which He's telling us too, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Give up the ways of this world. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, which some of you are going right now, I don't know how I can do this silence. I don't have time because you have taken your life into your hands. But he says, if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? What would you gain? Is anything worth more than your soul? Silence and solitude leads us into the presence of the Father where we experience healing, restoration, freedom for our souls. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for who you are. I thank you that you have shown us the way, that you have walked this path, that you have shown us how to walk, that you've given us the, the way, the truth. Father, you say that you are the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through you. Father, we come to you. We sit at your feet. Help us, Lord. We know we are broken vessels that need to be touched by you, that need to be in your presence, to be restored, to be refined, to, to receive new life and hope. And so help us this week to do that. Help us to trust you. Help us to have the discipline to sit at your feet, to uh, prioritize being in your presence and letting you water our dry souls. Reveal to us the, the brokenness. Help us in the safety of your space to Surrender those broken pieces to you and to receive wholeness and fulfillment. Help us, Lord. Father, we know that this is a journey. Help us to walk this journey. 
Help us to choose the ancient path, the path of Jesus, the ways of Jesus. Help us, Lord Jesus, this week. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord be may the Lord turn his face towards you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance and give you his peace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Have a blessed Sunday. See you guys next week.